Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landaway. Bienvenidos, Regenerati, and welcome, Regenerates, to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. Today, I have the great pleasure of introducing Abby Rose, who is uh, the founder of VitaCycle and Soil Mentor, and one of the producers and hosts of Futura- uh, sorry, Farmerama Radio, which is an amazing podcast. I would recommend checking out their beautifully produced stories about uh, regenerative agriculture and farmers all around the world. Um, I first met her at Caney Fork Farm in Tennessee um, at a a pretty interesting gathering there um, called the uh, Climate Underground. And yeah, I started tracking her great work with Um, technology, building apps that sort of reconnect farmers to context and soil and observation. And uh, yeah, we have a really interesting conversation. I had a lot of fun talking with Abby. We talk about beauty and we talk about um, the ethics of technology and we talk about um, all the things that I believe and it seems like we both believe are essential for this regenerative revolution to really be a, uh, an invitation to grounding and reconnecting and reweaving our relationship, and repairing our relationship as humans with, with the greater than human world, with our biosphere, with our place, with soil. So uh, yeah, I had a really lovely time talking with Abby. I hope to have her on again sometime. And um, yeah, for all of you farmers out there, uh, you might check out Soil Mentor app. Uh, they do a really good job of uh, really deeply caring about users. So um, check that out. And um, for those of you who are podcasts, uh, podcast listeners like me, check out uh, Farmerama Radio. So uh, without further ado, I bring to you Abby Rose. Um, all right, Abby Rose, welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, so exciting to be here. Thanks for having me, Gregory. <laughs> yeah, and uh, before I hit record, we were just chatting about um, y- your family has a um, beautiful vineyard in Chile, and I was sharing a little bit about uh, the cacao agroforestry farm that I'm a part of, and we were just, uh, yeah, just chatting about how our relationship to, to different places has kind of been transforming over the, the past, um, well, I guess in 2020 with, with COVID. Yeah, absolutely. But I think, interestingly, like, what is so great about farming and what I, like, regularly tune into is kind of the soil. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know I bring everything back to the soil all the time, but there is something that's very... Um, I don't know, relaxing is the wrong word, but it earthing and grounding about thinking of, you know, the focus on our farm in Chile is about soil regeneration. Hmm. Um, and so although we can't, I can't get there right now, um, the farm manager, you know, is still having the sheep go between the trees every day, moving them um, and having that be part of building 
soil health on the land and retaining more water so that we, you know, despite the droughts that are happening, we are able to continue to have plentiful water supplies on the land and keep everything kind of lush. And I don't know, I think connecting into that level of the farm makes it all, it always feels close in a way. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't know what you think about that in terms of Ecuador. Well, yeah, I mean, similarly, and 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 oddly enough, maybe this is a shared, um, maybe this is sort of like a, a part of you and I's shared um, madness or <laughs> mission or whatever you might call it, but I really feel strongly about, you know, maintaining a, you know, a, a depth of connection to place, even even if I may not be there standing in the watershed on the farm. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of part of, part and parcel with region networks. You know, how do we use this digital technology, which in so many ways seems to isolate us from each other mm -hmm. and from the world and fragment us and atomize us. And yet it's also a connective technology and it has the potential to connect us with information with data with 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 each other communicate mm -hmm. you know see satellite photos whatever it is and so there's an element to which you know my yearning to be in many different places and to be mm -hmm. connected to the regeneration of those places i could see directly led to me sort of like taking the crazy plunge to engage with you know, software development in service technology. of regeneration and technology. Yeah. So I don't know if that yeah. resonates with you, but. Um. Yeah. I, um, I hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, I certainly think for where my, you know, we make apps for small to medium scale farmers to empower kind of the regenerative transition and, and to continue to farm more regeneratively. Mm -hmm. um, and what really drives the core of those apps is observation yeah. and the power of observation. Um, and so I think there is something about being able to be part of those observations, even when I'm not there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like that, uh, the farm manager, Claudio, he can be going around and we, for example, this year we did an experiment towards the end of the drought season. Well, you never know when a drought is going to end, but <laughs> it happened to be towards the end in this case. Um, we were we fenced off a few different areas in in between some of the olive trees. Um, we were trying to keep the rabbits out, and then we were watering them with different amounts of water. And we tried to put uh, in one uh, kind of square. We put some um, added some different seeds for herbal lays, and another square we were just watering and seeing what came through. Um, and you know. I was able to follow those experiments, even though I wasn't on the farm, because our farm manager was taking photos every day, making notes, taking a few measurements, and then I could just log on and see what was happening. And that, yeah, that's a whole different experience. Um, and it enabled me to be part of that um, and to support them, even though I was like thousands of miles away. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is a connector in that sense. And I think, there is potential for technology to be a positive contribution to the regenerative agriculture movement. Um, 
I guess too often um, the aims of people who are making technology, although initially I think they're really trying to do great things, um, often, often my experience is that technology isn't actually rooted or grounded. <laughs> it becomes an um, end in and of itself, sort of. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's, not, it's not technology to support things, it's technology because technology is cool, or look, we can make this like so much faster for you, or snazzier, and, and you know, that, that's fine, I get it, but that's not really what I think is moving things forward, basically. Yeah, I mean, it strikes me that in, that's it's sort of a similar way that humans relate to things like money. Mm -hmm. like technology, money, what are they? Uh, I mean, they're abstract, but somehow we sort of, I, I, I've heard, um, if you're familiar with Douglas Rushkoff, um, no, he, you'd probably love his work. He wrote a book called okay. Team Human. And, right. uh, you know, and he's sort of like, a, he's, you know, sort of like a social commentator uh, guy. Um, anyway, brilliant thinker. And he always talks about sort of the field and the focus. And he, he sort of points out, I, I've heard him point out, and I've heard this from other folks that I really like, uh, sort of respect their thinking. I mean, this is so this will be kind of a tangent, but I think it's speaking Great. to what you're speaking to. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so if you go ask an indigenous person a, a, a direct question about, you know, the landscape, for instance, um, who, who's, you know, an indigenous in this case, I'm defining as someone who lives in place and who has a, a culture that emerged from the relationship with that place and is deeply rooted in that place. I'm not speaking of in terms of like racial or necessarily mm -hmm. ethnic definition here, but someone who's like, it could be an Irish person, you know, who's, who's mm -hmm. like lived for generations, generations, and they're just, they've been, they've been there. Anyway, if you go talk to somebody like that, they're going to tell you a story. They're not going to answer your question. Totally. You, and, and, they're like they're like trying to give you the context for the question to even make sense <laughs> is is how i've experienced that and so there's a field and there's a focus and so if you you know similarly there's been all these experiments where if you ask you know if you ask someone to describe this picture and you ask a western person you ask an indigenous person to describe the same you know painting with uh you know there's a there's beautiful mountains and there's a river and there's, you know, the sun is setting and there's a, there's a man walking a dog. If you ask somebody from the Western, like, you know, in, in quotes, the, like the Western world, they're going to say, Oh, it's a painting of a man with a dog. Mm -hmm. And if you ask an indigenous person, they're going to say, Oh, well, you know, that's like the last thing they'll say. They'll say, Oh, there's <laughs> mountains and there's this river and the sun is setting and it, you know, this, that, and the other, and there's a man with a dog. And mm -hmm. um, it strikes me that, that I'm just, you know, I'm just sort of thinking out loud, but I wonder if there isn't something there that is just like the common swap from field to focus that we focus on the money or we focus on the technology instead of focusing on, you know the the regeneration the relationship the the farm the the people and then the technology or the money you know i'm sort of like conflating those two but i, I to me it feels like there's a uh, there's something kind of there 
How does that yep. how does that ramble strike you? I think I think what does make sense to me is this idea that that story is much bigger than technology. Mm. Um, and and that one of the tensions I've really noticed in in having technology and and bringing technology to the regenerative world is that technology isn't great at nuance. Um, you know, technology is about ones and zeros. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually in the regenerative context, there's a huge amount of nuance um, to things. And, and that there is a richness of story and relationship is so the right word. Um, and, and that often the technology, uh, it's so, it's so important and, and, um, and it's so difficult to build technology that doesn't break down those relationships or doesn't confine and box things in so that you become the new reason that, you know, uh, farmers have these massive square fields of monoculture, you know, to me that, that the reason we have large fields and monoculture is purely because that the technology was better at doing that. Um, it's not because it was ever thought to be a great idea mm. uh, in terms of like biologically, it's not a great idea. Like that's just sort of known, um, you know, but because the way technology was built and, you know, we could build machines um, and they, they're quite big. Um, and if everything's the same, then they can harvest it faster. Um, yeah, does that make sense? So I guess what I'm saying is so often technology actually constrains the possibilities of, um, of what's happening on a farm. Yeah. And so I think that um, I'm, I, you know, in speaking to you and I got that part of what you're committed to at Regen Network is, is not being the constraint, hmm. um, but allowing or trying to find somewhere in that uh, somehow to support the grayness, to support the storytelling, to support um, all of the, the nuances that are involved in regenerative agriculture um, and the relationships that are involved and, and what that means. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. I hope that made sense in response to what you said. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I did completely make sense. And I, I really resonate with that way of thinking about how agriculture has drifted into this sort of economy of scale. I mean, it does, of course, beg the question of, you know, I, I've just been reading um, Civilized to Death. Uh, mm -hmm. um, by um, Christopher Ryan, who he wrote, um, he also wrote Sex at Dawn, and um, he's a, like, he's an anthropologist, and he's kind okay. of he's sort of pointing to, and I think this is a somewhat common position amongst anthropologists. He's pointing to the agriculture itself as a um, I don't know maybe somehow the original sin or something like that mm, um, interesting that it's the root that, that it's so tied up with this fixation on techno technology or the accrual of power or mm -hmm. there's actually something inherent to the choice 
to have a sedentary extractive relationship with a set of crops and a set of people mm -hmm. that, mm -hmm. that is sort of like intrinsically bound up with I think what we're talking about which is this struggle to embody regeneration as humans connected to a landscape you know and, and obviously mm. you and I are doing that through the lens of agriculture I think a broad definition of agriculture not just tillage or or whatnot but you know right I always struggle to find a good word for how I like the the you know the act of um, stewardship or whatever it is uh, the, the anyway the, the broadly humans interacting with working landscapes that we're uh, stewarding mm -hmm. does, doesn't seem to have a good word in the English language. <laughs> Um, no. <laughs> uh, so we use agriculture. So anyway, there's, yeah. there's something there that, you know, he's sort of pointing to agriculture, the shift from hunt, hunt, hunting and gathering to agriculture and around the time period that that happened and then how that sort of like parlayed into, you know, civilization as we know it and the track record for civilization, you know, in quotes is pretty poor. Basically every mm -hmm. civilization has collapsed because of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because of agri because of agriculture because people have <laughs> overused resources and not been able to adapt to climate change and even driven climate change multiple times all of this stuff so so there's really something i i almost feel like i'm trying to redeem agriculture mm. it, or or you know transform it evolve it in into a way that it is no longer sort of a a one direction extraction relationship. Yep. And that it's dynamic and flexible and mutually beneficial for a, a much broader community beyond just the, the humans involved. Um, which maybe. Absolutely. What would we call that? You know, is that even agriculture anymore? I guess is, hmm. is a question. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I certainly like what you're saying really resonates with me because um you know certainly with the the recent kind of black lives matter black lives matter movement mm. um and certainly for me some of the things that dawned were this um idea of dominance mm -hmm. um and that that's so at the root of you know of white supremacy and and so at the root of, of many people in our culture mm -hmm. um, and how how it really doesn't support um equality you know any any form of equality it doesn't support us as a civilization to have dominance in there um and i think you can absolutely you know that is paralleled in farming um and well it's certainly in our perspective to farming um that that we humans are dominating the environment we're in um and and that we're going to get what we want from it um and that we're more important than others um all those things yeah. <laughs> that are are so like yeah essentially so divisive and so negative um and really un unrooting everything um about what we're doing yeah so i think 
I had never considered that fundamentally agriculture was that, I have to say. And I think that that, I don't know if I, I don't know if I resonate with that in the sense that to me, um, what regenerative agriculture is about is about a nourishment um, and a, a feeding of of so many of the whole ecosystem and a flourishing of the whole ecosystem and all within it yeah um and uh you know that's why also um for me regenerative agriculture it requires uh, a shift a sh complete shift in how we do business yeah it requires a complete shift in how we relate to other people and other human beings um all of that yeah. it, it's sort of all bundled into one and if we just try going down the route of you know making some uh regeneratively produced commodities that that isn't um kind of where where we really want to go with regenerative agriculture because i can see that that's still very much in the dominance mindset and there will still be you know people who don't have access to that food and don't have access to land and it just yeah so yeah. I, I guess what i'm saying is it feels Lovely. all very interwoven yep um and that fundamentally i agree that we need to have agri whatever this new name for things is that you're talking about to me it is about a system that is not uh, that is ba not based on dominance, but is based on co-flourishing. Yeah. Um, whatever that looks like. Yeah, I'm in heated agreement with that. I mean, I think <laughs> the, the the I mean, there's a couple of things that spring to mind. But uh, I mean, uh, one thing is, did you see that uh, Bayer Monsanto recently released a a uh, regenerative agriculture focused carbon farming payment program sort of along the lines of indigo ag uh um they just they just did like no, I press, didn't. press releases about that uh last week i think <laughs> okay so uh right so and, and just to, to your point it, it isn't i firmly believe it isn't regenerative agriculture unless it's taking into consideration the whole wholeness and mm -hmm. that, that means that you can't just say this is about increasing soil carbon while maintaining the same commercial structure and, you mm -hmm. know, like wage slave relationship with the people who are working on, et cetera, et cetera. There has to actually be what, what is, how are we evolving co, a co-flourishing here? And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and to sort of cycle back, the the um, the statement that maybe perhaps agriculture is the root of all of this. I mean, I have to say that's a strong that's a strong stance, very very loosely held by me. I I sort of consider it, but I'm not sure I buy into it. Maybe similar to what you're saying, I, I actually think there are pretty good examples of agricultural peoples who've ritualized you know the the right maintenance of reciprocity and relationship with with their community and and the greater than human community and um and there is something that's really the the hard thing about what what you and I are think are are 
are inviting people to consider and to to try to approach in terms of what is regenerative agriculture i mean at a certain point there it comes down to i I actually think it comes down to safety and and our relationship with violence because Mm -hmm. because as a farmers are the most um vulnerable people you can't pick your there's no liquidity you can't just move when Mm -hmm. when things go bad or when somebody wants to take your land or and so that the our human history somehow is just the history of people it it is it's that it's like the tragic comedy of of that over and over Mm -hmm. again in, in these cycles and so it's sort of like in order to 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 achieve regenerative agriculture we do really fundamentally have to address the social and structural and economic drivers for dominance and violence and oppression you know it has to be intrinsic and that's a really tall order you know i have to say Mm -hmm. it's it's intimidating and to me you know, one of the things I just, I, I'm always thinking about the Black Lives Matter protest, a part of me is very inspired and hopeful. Part of me is sort of like, um, well, I mean, you don't hear people talking about the 10,000 year history of chattel slavery that that <laughs> preceded, the, the, like how deeply entrenched, this isn't just about the United States and the founding of the United States on slavery and genocide. This, this is a like, there's a much longer thing going on here that mm-hmm. has to be considered in which you know most if not all peoples in the world are somehow entangled for many 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 generations there's like mm-hmm. a big, there's a big thing there so so i don't know like is there what so what's the role of technology in in that view of regenerative agriculture yeah wow um well i guess my (laughs) my fundamental like my gut feeling on that is that technology really needs to step away from the limelight Hmm. um that technology is not the answer uh that technology is a tool that can support us, um, humanity, as we, you know, grapple with, um, you know, transforming into a regenerative uh, planet. Mm. Um, And that for me, the role of technology is purely to be that assistive tool, which almost like what we talked about in the beginning, it's about, you know, allowing for relationship to flow. Um, you know, even just being able to be on a call with you, um, you know, thousands of miles apart, that is, that's, to me, that's supportive, that's supportive technology. Um, I personally don't think that um, getting, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess for me, part of the problem of technology today and the way it's viewed is it's seen as a way of um freeing people from having to do any work yeah (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and 
<laughs> and what I see in people is not that we want to be freed from doing work, but that actually when people get to be in community and get to be, uh, you know, in relationship with soil and feeding themselves, that that, that is like humanity. That is wh why we're here. That is the joy. Um, and so, yeah, in a way that's completely at odds with technology or, or it's certainly completely at odds with the way mo much technology is, is focused today, which is about you know, dehumanizing landscapes, um, saving us all from having to work in the fields and putting us all in, I guess, city contexts or I, I don't know, I guess, yeah, I guess you can see that. I really don't understand that tech technological vision. Um, you mean sort of you're speaking broadly to the sort of like techno-utopian exactly. kind of move towards automation of as much of, of, in quotes, work as possible so that humans can just sort of like lead lives of leisure and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> another irony here this is all very fresh in my mind and things that i've been thinking about for a long time because i did i'd studied some anthropology back in in university but um this book civilized to death the author points out hunter gatherers maxed out working three or four hours a day <laughs> They maxed out, they, you know, they, they, they lived yep. in small communities. We, so we have an evolutionary history, our yearning to be connected to place and soil and people and community is because we had, you know, a couple of million years of living in a particular way. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and the irony of how hard we're working to escape work when... <laughs> It, it, yeah. it's just, you know it's just like that old that there's that funny old joke about you know i've heard it told in different ways but you know the way i i mostly hear it is you know there's this there's this really wealthy wall street guy and he takes his family to to go on a vacation to acapulco and then they go up the coast of mexico and they find this little fishing village and they're staying there and you know it's beautiful and he walks down to the beach in the morning and he sees this, you know, this Mexican guy, this Mexi Mexican fisherman hanging out in the hammock, looking at the ocean and just kind of chilling. And he, you know, he strikes up a conversation with him because this Wall Street guy apparently knows Spanish. And, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> cha they're chatting and, they, and the, uh, you know, they get to talk and, oh, the, okay, so I, yeah, I'm a fisherman and yeah, I just, I go catch a little bit for my family and just a little bit more to sell. And so, yeah, I only, you know, I just work a couple days a week. You know, I go out when I need to and I just catch some fish, I come back and, you know, the next day the Wall Street guy thinks about this and he comes back again and he says, I have this idea for you. If you work every single day, eight hours, and you just go out there and catch them, in, in only a month, you'll have enough money to buy another boat and hire somebody else to do it. And then in, two years you could own the whole fleet and then um you know we could just scale this whole business way up and the, the mexican fisherman says well why would i want to do that and the wall street guy says well because then you could just come back and hang out in the hammock like me 
And like the irony of that is <laughs> so deep. And I think it's exactly, you know, I guess I share that rambling joke, but I, because it feels like it's speaking exactly to what you're saying, which is mm -hmm. it can't be about the technology. It has to be about the relationship and the care and the mutualism and, the, and I guess, I don't know, the quality of life. Buen vivir. Yeah. Yep. That Quechua concept of, if you're familiar with that, like, um, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I think, yeah, I also want to say I'm not like a Luddite in the sense that I'm not anti-technology either. I just think that we have, hopefully it's coming through that we have completely misappropriated technology or given it, um, in my view, it's taken a false uh, place in our society. Um, and, and that we need to kind of rethink what, what why do we have technology and what is it for and and what do what do we want in our lives um and what do we want for the planet um and then from there think okay and how can technology support that um and i think certainly for regenerative agriculture um where i see it supporting best is through um well I don't know, this is always my approach to things, but like very practical on the ground tools that farm, you know, it's just helping the people, whoever's interacting with the soil um, to have access to information um, and also to learn more from their observations as they go. Um, and I guess thirdly, to potentially participate, uh, you know, in some sort of market, if that's, you know, whether that's a local market or a global market, I don't know, but, you know, whatever that is. Mm. Um, so quite simple uses in a way. Yeah. I don't know what you think. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with that. I, 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 I'm also like a reluctant technologist, I guess. Or <laughs> that is to say that it feels to me like having working examples of technology in service to relationship with soil place and, and also sort of like serving to, to one of the things we talk a lot about is where's the agency in the system. Mm -hmm, totally. Um, it, it is a person gaining agency in their relationship like like in their relationship to the land and their and the market through their use of this technologies these technologies mm -hmm. that we're talking about you know in, in mm -hmm. or not like is is the is the technology built in such a way that reduces agency like facebook and google mm -hmm. where you know there's all these hidden algorithms and ways that you as a user are being nudged or pushed or you know, all of this stuff yeah. is happening that that's not your agency as a user. It's somebody else's agency. Um, it's the or it's even or it's not even a person's agency. It's like the market's agency. It's some amorphous, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, intangible thing. So so yeah. I mean, that's just a really important, I guess, design principle. I think for the application of technology in service to regeneration. Agreed. Yeah. It's about, yeah, it's got to be empowering. 
um, or that's yeah that when I think about agency I think about empowering um, as opposed to taking away the power or hiding the power from you right so yeah no I agree we do we talk about agency and um, it's I get quite excited about bringing more agency to the farm or to the people who are actually on the land um, and having the experiences uh, rather than decision-making and agency being pushed elsewhere, which I think is problematic. And in a way, that's something that we talked about, you know, initially when we were talking about some of the work that Regen Network's doing and and allowing for the, uh, I guess it's communication and sharing and uh, verification of certain ecosystem services that, you know, that do have value in the world to many people, um, allowing for that to be in some sort of market interface. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, <laughs> but I think that that, yeah, having that be an empowering tool um, and having that be something that directly links into the decision makers on the ground, um, is a massive challenge um, and mm. I'm really glad that people like yourselves are are focused on it. Yeah, in whatever modest way we can approach such a big tangled problem, you know, I, I think right. I, I think a lot about I think a lot about that, like what what are the, what is the criteria to have um, you know, the, the farmer be able to choose how much they want to choose. Because ob mm -hmm. obviously you can't build something that forces people that, even that, that's sort of like taking people's agency away. But then... <laughs> <laughs> it's my son in the... Uh, second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let him in. <laughs> okay. It's okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. It's it's not a problem. Um, the. Um, well, maybe that's a. Maybe that's a good bridge. Actually, I I was thinking. The question I was thinking of as you were talking about that was to just see, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about how you and your team sort of integrate these, this direction that we're talking about, you know, mm -hmm. wanting to serve agency, um, wanting to ser sort of serve these, as you're putting, putting it, these fairly simple needs of farmers as users around their ability to observe their own farms, their ability to interact with markets, their ability, you know, I, I don't remember what the third one was that you were talking about, but how does that all um, impact and drive your, I guess, design and development process mm -hmm. as a, you know, as a software firm? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think what one of the things that from the very beginning has been true of what we do and is still today 
is that everyone on the team goes to visit farms um, and we all go and we experience people, um, our customers essentially, uh, using the apps, but also just spending time with them and listening to what's true in their world and listening to their stories. Um, I think that, you know, my background, I spent some time working as a user researcher for the UK government. Um, mm -hmm. And my, so my background in user research has always made me really focused on the listening to what people are saying um, and, and listening carefully and, and not just listening, but also watching what people are doing um, and being present when, you know, as like, for example, a vineyard manager is walking the vines, you know, just what, what does that mean? What does that involve? What, is, what are the stories that come up for them? What are the things they notice? Um, so we try and have that be part of our experience so that then when, you know, our developers are back developing a, a tool, uh, we all, all of our tools are developed in conjunction with our customers and the farmers we're working with. Um, but when you, you are developing a tool, obviously there are some decisions you just have to make. <laughs> um, and that's where I feel like the more someone is embedded and can almost imagine being in that situation and imagine being that person, um, the more they can make decisions that support that very practical experience that is required on the ground and that really supports um, you know, the farmers themselves. Uh, yeah, so I think that that really is at the core of what we do, or I'd say that that is unusual to a certain extent. I think many companies these days will do user research and they'll have user researchers and they'll, you know, maybe have a company retreat and um, maybe all happen to stay on a farm. But that's, this is a, something a little more in depth than that. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of embodying and embedding yourself into the understanding and the experience of the world of the people who we are uh, supporting and working with. Yeah, um, walk a mile in their shoes. Exactly. <laughs> so to speak. Exactly. Yeah, 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 totally. And then I think the other thing that is kind of interesting and exciting for the team um, and for all of us is that we, our company, kind of ethos is about building ecology, profitability, and beauty on farms around the world. Mm. And I think we're constantly thinking through those three lenses. Um, you know, how can we build a tool that uh, speaks to profitability? How can we build a tool that speaks to ecology? How can we build a tool that speaks to beauty? Um, and even just asking some of those questions, particularly obviously around beauty, you, you know, we end up having conversations with farmers um, and, and also ourselves thinking in, about things that are more gray. Um, and I think that that, yeah, that's something I've really learned is that, you know, when we first talked about beauty as one of our kind of aims or part of what we're committed to, uh, people were quite critical. Um, they said, oh, well, you, you can't monitor that, um, you know, it's not really a goal. How, how would you know? But actually, 
by having beauty be part of what we're committed to, we're recognizing that, yeah, maybe you can't monitor it. And actually, maybe it is just a feeling. Mm. And maybe it's a sense that you get when you're on a farm um, where regenerative farming is really in action. You can just feel beauty. And how can we build technology that supports that? And I, so I think that that also really supports the team in thinking outside of the the very kind of one zero realm of what technology is about day to day. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's really powerful, I think. And important yeah i think just want to add something about beauty there in that um i really became you know the word beauty for some people is very uh superficial or or one-dimensional hmm. um so it's important to re acknowledge that what we mean by beauty here is um the poet uh, john o'donohue uh he's an irish poet he did this brilliant interview where he explained that beauty um, is the essence of the word is from the Celtic, no, sorry, the Greek word for calling, which is kolain. Um, and that that has, that's part, you know, that's where, it's, it's part of where the word beauty has come from, evolved from. Mm. Um, and so he really understands beauty as like to be called um, or, so you know when you're like in um, a landscape, um, and you just suddenly like feel so alive. Um, mm. And it's like, it's like you're called into being alive. That's what we really mean by beauty. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the funny thing about it is like talk to almost any farmer, you know, no matter how gruff and uh, unexpectedly soft or, you know, they don't, you don't expect them to identify with the word beauty, but you say that to them and they, they can understand like so many farmers, you know, they don't just go into farming for the fun, uh, you know, or for the money for sure. Well, certainly not in the UK anyway. Um, but what often is the case is that there's this other aspect to why people farm. And that is about beauty. It is about something that isn't always able to be put down on paper or written in numbers. Um, so yeah that's the expansion on beauty there. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really powerful. <clears throat> and I think that is definitely one of the things that gets dropped out in the fixation on technology for technology's sake. And, and that isn't to say that, you know, certain, certain technologies certainly can almost achieve some some simulacrum at least of that kind mm -hmm. of feeling of beauty I, at least personally i don't ever feel like they quite hit hit the same you know th that image that you shared of you know sort of having the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and mm. and being sort of you know grabbed by the by life <laughs> mm -hmm. through beauty I've never had that experience with with technology, actually. But no. But that isn't to say maybe some people don't have something similar who are sort of like, 
craftspeople, artisans, tech, technologists who really sort of fall in love in some way. Who knows? I don't know. I, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't have that experience. <laughs> uh, yes. but, but the ability to, tr just, the, just the attempt to bring that third element into your design process and, and hold it as part of your ethos is, I think, really inspiring because it, I think that's the type of challenge we have to set for ourselves if we're going to be flexible and dynamic enough to, to build tools to reconnect people to planet and to each other. Mm. Yeah, totally. I agree. And I think, yeah, it is, it's, it is, it's like that next step into a new uh, way of relating to what you're creating that is, it's just a different lens, essentially. Um, and, and it's, it's something that some people I think are very uncomfortable with. Um, Who, who's, un, who's been the most uncomfortable with that? What, what, uh, what yeah, constituents in your stakeholder group really like was sort of pushing back on that? Um, it's usually people in managerial roles. <laughs> mm. um, so, <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just a discomfort with, well, how would I manage people around that? Yep. Um, you know, how would I then uh, report to my boss on that? So it's, it was more people involved in, in larger organizations. Um, and, and also I have had that, from you know some very successful entrepreneurs who you know they've had their success through the lens of data and technology and uh, a very kind of metrics only based system so you know i can see that, that that has worked for many people in so many ways but i would also argue that is part of a paradigm that that i'm I'm keen to leave behind to a certain extent. I'm not saying we need to scrap it, but just that we need, we could, it's an invitation to move um, into a slightly uh, different form of paradigm where we can have both the metrics um, and, and the markets, but we can also have the human experience um, and the, the, uh, the kind of, the thing that's beyond the numbers can also coexist and be important in our lives, basically. Um, and I think that's actually one other thing I should say about our team that is really core to everything we do. And I think it does allow for a different form of development and, and way of being. And that's that we all, um, our core principles are what a lady in LA developed them. She's a lady called Jennifer Armburst. Um, and she has a company called sister.is. Sister um, and she created something called the feminine business principles, mm. or she actually calls them the feminist business principles. But for me, um, and in the context of our team, um, we are actually moving to calling them the regenerative business principles um, because it doesn't work for everyone to have a, a even slightly gendered word in there. Um, but you know, there are things like the first principle is you have a body. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and the second principle is you're connected to all living beings. Um, you're connected to the earth and all living beings. And then one of, uh, another one is that a business can be a healing for yourself and others. And I just think that those very simple principles, there's 12 of them, I'm not going to name them all right now, but they're so alarming um, in the context of business today or many businesses today. You know, even bringing in the idea of like, you have a body, like <laughs> for many places, that's, that's a weird thing to say. And it's incongruous with the, the working environment. Mm. Um, and yeah, you, you know, the idea that a business can be a healing for yourself and others. I mean, I think that is wild for many people. Um, so by having those at the core of what we do, uh, it also brings a certain am amount of, I don't know, just a completely different set of questions um, and a completely different way of relating to each other and our customers and the, the different people we're interacting with. Um, so again, that's, you know, speaking and acting in a, in a different business paradigm, hopefully. Um, but I have to say, obviously, we are constantly met with tensions. Um, and I'm not trying to paint a picture that we're by any means perfect here. <laughs> There's loads of things that, you know, don't work and struggles. And this, the idea, you know, the idea of the, the regenerative business principles really so often it's incongruous with um, the, re the way the rest of the world works. So you, it's constantly about finding the balance um, of what's possible, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One, I mean, there's just so much there which feels really um, alive. The, one of my um, one of my business mentors, um, Zach Weiss, who worked with us through our TechStars accelerator, um, mm -hmm. would would oftentimes talk about the tension between what's desirable and what's doable, mm -hmm. and just the relation the the importance of holding that question over and over again and i'm hearing a lot of that coming through what you're talking about which is which also really resonates which is kind of like being guided by principles and mm -hmm. having and having an ethical stance that may actually be beyond our ability to make doable today but is something yes. that we're committed to growing our capability to embody better and better and better and better exactly which is which is interesting because something that you said was that the people who were who, who, some of the folks who had the hardest trouble with this tended to be um you know the, sort of the managerial folks or folks who'd had very you know success in you know people uh, what i got from that was it's like people who have 
sort of committed to and embodied a much more binary black and white um odd like moving towards automation mm-hmm. um style of engagement with decision making and mm-hmm. engagement with business design and um all the rest of it of course are going to be very threatened by this approach that you're talking about which i actually think it forces agency back into the picture in like this minute in the day to day yes because you have to ask yourself oh am i speaking to the essence and uh, of this place of this person is this going to generate more beauty or less how do you answer mm-hmm. that in a binary way like you can't just get the you can't just get the answer from the pre-existing strategy document you no. can't, <laughs> and you can't just sort of cover your ass when somebody comes to ask you about it by just pointing at some to some you know oh in you know clause three section a it says this and so therefore i did that you can't do that you actually have to say well i i deeply considered this and my best judgment was you know thinking about this person and this user that i'd been considering this is what is going to tend to invite them to have more creative engagement with their landscape to generate beauty and you're like well it could be wrong (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah it could be wrong totally that's the whole point point. and so there's just just I definitely I mean we have some similar approaches and it brings up a lot for people because it's it's sort of demanding bravery and accountability to try something different even if you're not sure what the like that it's right yeah. And and what Absolutely. is right as you you keep inviting us to consider the gray area. Like how are we actually engaging in and I, when you said that I was like is it gray or is it a rainbow? <laughs> <laughs> to- totally true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like there's something there which is what humanity needs to be brave enough to step into in order to like evolve basically we have to not have a like be demanding a binary answer absolutely for Um, all these hard questions yeah and i think that is you know that's reflected in regenerative agriculture through and through in that there is no one-size-fits-all solution that you have to be in conversation with the context the land there that you're on um and almost it's like you sort of have to feel what's working and what's not i mean obviously you can use um tools and technology and data to support you Mm. but there is also um you know if we could compare it to the the chemical system which was always like well you know if you spray fungicide now you won't be getting that fungus um and you'll almost certainly get this crop at the end Um, whereas the regenerative agriculture context is more like okay well let's plant a super diverse field of wheat um, with many different strains of wheat and then whatever the system throws at us that's what comes and we're playing a game of resilience 
So we are confident that a certain amount will survive, but you don't know which ones are going to survive. Um, you know, you don't know which strains are going to come through. There's a lot of unknowns there. Um, and you, you sort of have to be okay with the unknowns um, and, and, and be okay with just feeling it out. Um, and I think, I think that's really a huge change for people. And I've even, I've been speaking to a few farmers about how um, they even understand beauty as a way to navigate some of that, that unknown that the regenerative context can bring up, um, which is like, well, does it feel beautiful? Does it right. feel good? It's like um, a light, it's that like is a way to make a decision. It's like a lighthouse yeah. or yeah, that you just sort of have that beacon, but, but you have to be able to tune into your own. I mean, you have to make your own judgment about that at the end mm -hmm. of the day. There isn't somebody who's going to tell you that. Nope. Exactly. <laughs> are, are you familiar at all with um, Gertian science? Like uh, Goethe, Wolf, Wolfgang von Goethe's, um, I just became familiar with one of my teammates in, in a very sort of similar domain. It, it's, this, it's this concept of actually growing the human capacity of observation and sort of meaning making and sort of like a scientific cycle around that. So you're hmm. sort of considering your senses as, a, in a, as an instrument and you're like calibrating yourself to, hmm. um, which I, I find very interesting as a reframing where and, and and to me that's i mean i'm really interested in methodologies and technology etc that is sort of like augmenting and growing the capability that a human has to smell or touch or or see subtle changes in you know in the color of the leaf telling you what might be happening in the soil, um, you know, mm -hmm. the smell of the soil, telling you what's happening in the soil food web, all of these different things, you know, and, and that's the, there's something very rich there that I, I feel like if, if we're building technology to serve that, it, it, it automatically places, or it's, so, I don't know, automatic's not the right word, but it will tend to place the people who are using it back into this position of agency to an inquiry. And I think it's so wrapped up with beauty because that's the, the aesthetic sense I think is deeply involved with our capability of observation somehow. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think a hundred percent. It's like, what are you drawn to? Um, what do you notice? And, you know, I mean, in many, so I, I feel like Goethe has, and Goethean science has come up in my life a number of times, but I've never engaged with it. So that is a good prompt to engage with it because I think that sounded like a really beautiful description of it. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, in many ways that resonates with uh, how I've heard many biodynamic farmers describe what they do. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely. It's very, very similar. I've, I've had uh, interactions with with biodynamic farmers that also feel like they re they're, they're inviting that same capability and, and the sort of educational structure and how people engage is, yeah, it's, it's like a, a never ending journey around, you know, trying to get more and more subtle in your ability to see 
life changing and developing and to be able to sort of respond and dance with that. Totally. Yeah. Okay. And I think, yeah, it's really, I find that very exciting. Um, and that's, um, that's a part of biodynamics that I'm, yeah, I'm really, really drawn to. Um, and it's that's really also, exciting to think of sort of augmenting that w with technology, I have to say. I mean, mm. I think it's, it's a really beautiful, um, maybe counterintuitive, but beautiful and interesting question. Because if, you, if, if we can ask with high integrity, what of this will actually undermine the, the vast human capacity here? because it's, it's, a, it's a needless crutch. And what if it is actually an augmentation and giving us access to information in a way that we wouldn't be able to, that then mm -hmm. owns the, the, the other senses and our, our mind body and all of that. It, it's a really interesting question. And I think there is a lot of room to do great, you know, great technology development. Mm. Agreed. I think it, it's just going to take, I, I like, I feel like my dream is that we get way more technologists <laughs> to go out and spend a few months on a farm yeah, um, <laughs> and just spend some time digging in the soil. And I think probably at first many people will hate it, but there is a point where you, you, I don't know, you push through a barrier and then suddenly it awakens parts of you that, you sort of didn't know were there maybe um and that technology built by people who are deeply involved in the soil i think would look completely different to the technology we built today yeah i i mean i definitely agree with that and i oftentimes think that there's sort of a need for embedding our you know our our businesses i guess these initiatives to to reimagine and retool technology and service to this to to life we need to embed that into the you know into the working landscape somehow um i long wanted to you know wave a magic wand and have enough working capital to you know essentially kind of create a, a campus <laughs> essentially that is like a big working farm a bit in a big experiment where everything's just you know we're all in you know everybody who's working is able to 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 live and work and engage in such a way that it's just um integral and and mm. um who knows maybe someday we'll actually we'll we'll actualize that mm. <laughs> that'd be amazing yeah. <laughs> be a whole new yeah whole new experience think and i think that there was something i mean we were sort of getting back in a way back at, at the beginning of this great conversation there was something about you were talking about um just how farmers how people we were talking about automation and this like this different vision of trying to escape work that seems kind of incomprehensible um to you and i <laughs> and <laughs> And somehow it feels like what we're talking around is meaningful work. Yes. And aesthetic, beautiful work, maybe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. The, um, that's, 
wow, that's such a, I, I, I feel like that's one of the primary missing pieces for people in today's society that is causing all of these, it's, it's one of the root causes that then we see all these symptoms, depression and we, and, um, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of things that happen because mm-hmm. people are just, they're working as cogs in a machine or they're not working there. There's not mm-hmm. meaningfulness. There's not, mm-hmm. there's not a sense that the earth needs us, that the soil mm-hmm. and, and the watershed, like they actually need us to go out and tune in and take an action in service to more beauty. Mm-hmm. And, totally. And that, to, to me, that's just such a clear, um, yeah, it's just so clearly the, the, the ethical stance that invites, <laughs> you know, invites people to, to not just be sort of alienated and, and to not fall into the, the trap of technology for technology's sake and money for money's sake and all of these other sort of like false and and at the end of the day, I, I mean, I just see people, I think they're miserable. <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, um, that the meaning part of it uh, was really, became really clear to me when I, I um, so for part of Farmerama, the podcast I make, mm-hmm. um, I did an interview with Leah Penniman um, of Soulfire Farm in Albany, New York. Yeah. Um, and she had, she wrote, I mean, an amazing book that everyone should read called Farming While Black. And when she was kind of recounting her story of how she got into farming and what it meant for her, she really said that, you know, as a young person in her early teens, when she started, when she had the experience of farm or growing, that was the first time she'd really felt like her she had just found real meaning in her life um and that that you know to this day i mean now she runs a super successful farm and a whole farm training program for uh black and latinx people um and you know she's amazing (laughs) but i think it really hit home to me that there is a lot of meaning to be found in the practice of growing food and nourishment and nourishing not just oneself but a community and the soil it's like such a you know as we've said it so many times it's such an interrelated it's this relationship it's very dynamic it's not one directional Um, and when you really get in that space suddenly life just it, it has meaning that it it doesn't have when you're sitting in front of a computer all day uh, you know, working on spreadsheets, which obviously they do mean something somewhere, um, but it doesn't kind of, it doesn't hold the beauty and it doesn't speak to the soul in the way that land-based activity does. Um, so yeah, I think you're spot on. The, the word meaning really resonates. And I've heard many other people say it since, but it was just, that was a moment for me where she really that hit home to me like that that's a real thing yeah yeah definitely and and even you know the things that you know 
at least for me, if I'm doing a spreadsheet in service, knowing that it's a way of ordering and organizing some data and information to support making a more beautiful landscape, all of a sudden, even work that kind of sucks like that is meaningful. And so it doesn't, it's just different, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Totally. I do agree with that completely. <laughs> it's like, there is, at least in my experience, my bodily experience, there's sort of a hierarchy of some things are just going to be easier for me to just love doing. But even the things that I don't like doing, if it feels, you know, like cleaning the toilet when, <laughs> when you know, when, when it's just part of caring for the household, for your family, for your community, it's, that can be meaningful. You know, it doesn't mean absolutely. Like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You wake up in the morning like ah, Excel spreadsheets and toilet <laughs> cleaning. This is like <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think it. Yeah, it is all about what what are you committed to and why are you doing it. Um, and I guess when you're out there growing something and it can be, it's just very, very immediate. But certainly whenever I'm creating technology in the service of that, then I still feel very nourished and fulfilled by it um, and excited. <laughs> Even when it is just an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, so um, I, I have a question. What is, I mean, what is bringing you hope right now? What are you connecting to that's moving in the world, uh, big or small, that, you know, you just feel sort of a, a groundswell of hope emerging? Yeah, okay, good question. Um, I think Um, there's a few things that come to mind immediately. Um, one of them is that, you know, in response to the COVID crisis, certainly here in the UK, um, it seems like there are some longer term uh, changes in how people perceive food and their relationship to food um, and where food comes from. And and there's many more people um, sourcing their food more directly from farmers and kind of growing their own. And I think that that's kind of exciting and hopeful um, because that's a huge shift from where we were a year ago. Uh, so yeah, that's really exciting. Mm -hmm. um, I always come back to soil, <laughs> but there is an awakening happening again I can speak for the UK and certainly I know in the US, New Zealand, Australia, um, and in Chile actually, um, there's a real farmer-led movement happening. I think we've reached a point where the conventional systems are just being shown up all the time. They're just, they've reached, they've sort of reached their end point for most people. They're not 
you know, it's no longer the easy life um, or they're not certainly not creating a lot of profit for people, that's for sure. Um, and therefore people are really asking questions. And so, and, and farmers are suddenly really looking to how to build soil health and biodiversity. Um, and what I think is really exciting about that is it does feel like it's the start of a journey. Um, and so the farmers who I know who were asking that question, you know, five to six years ago, they're now starting to ask questions about like, well, how can I feed my community? And, and actually, you know, do we need to have um, uh, our land in trust um, mm -hmm. and have this be a land trust? And, you know, so it, it feels like the beginning of an unfurling. Mm. Um, and, and that to me is really exciting because, you know, I'm really, I, I'm not interested in going to people and saying, uh, what you're doing is wrong or anything like that. Um, it's much more about enabling people to discover for themselves what works. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's really exciting to see that, you know, starting with the soil, seems to have <laughs> huge ramifications further down the line in terms of people's whole perspective on the world. Um, so that's quite yeah. cool. Um, and I uh, think the so, final thing, sorry, uh, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, sure. The, the, well, the sure. final thing is just that I think more and more people are starting to wake up to that we need to have more dialogue and less debate in our world. Um, mm -hmm. There's so much, to me, debate is again playing in the realms of black and white. I'm right, you're wrong. Um, I'm better than you. It's all based on dominance. It's based on, to me, the old model, the old paradigm. Um, and that dialogue is part of the way that we move forward in the world. Um, and it feels like you can just start to see that coming out at the seams. Um, and so I'm hopeful that that will become a much bigger part of our civilization and communities um, over the next few years here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's a really, it's really important to, and, and so, and feel so intrinsically um, connected to the approach that you're sharing um around yeah just how how vita cycle is approaching design and software development you know as the as the functional you know elements of your value exchange with your mm -hmm. users and your community but i think it's it's it seems much deeper than that where we have to be in dialogue with one another and and with the land and and how do we build tools that are better at that you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. probably facebook is not the best way to be in dialogue with one another as a society <laughs> no <laughs> for instance probably not <laughs> or twitter yes um, yeah exactly mm -hmm. yes i think there's lots of space there um and yeah i'm excited to see these dialogues and conversations sort of build. And another question for you, what, what are you reading or what are you listening to? What are you, yeah, what, what are you, yeah, 
what are you I yeah. guess, in quotes consuming <laughs> in yeah, <terms> yeah. <laughs> um i mean i listen to the on being podcast a lot um as a kind of spiritual not spiritual is maybe the wrong word but sort of a a very human experience of the world um and what else do i listen to that really i guess i have been listening to um let me just get my podcasting app up mm -hmm. um good ancestors podcast um with Leila Saad. Oh, actually, I've been listening to, uh, there's a great, uh, a doctor here in the UK who makes a podcast called The Doctor's Kitchen. Um, and that's been really insightful in terms of, you know, he is approaching the food as medicine question um, from being a doctor himself. Um, and I did a, a recording with him as well because he's now really starting to ask questions about, well, you know, what does this mean in terms of farming um, and taking things back to that level? I guess relatively similar to, you know, Zach Bush, obviously he's a very prominent uh, doctor figure who is asking many of those questions as well. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, and uh, Zach is a pretty interesting guy. <laughs> totally, <laughs> yes, couldn't agree more. Um, and I also, I don't know, I'm sure, oh yeah, you've been on it. I like I like Kern's investing in regenerative agriculture podcast. Uh huh. Um, because I think that that gives a good overview of the different people working in the space. Um. And I guess, of course, Farmerama. <laughs> um. And in terms of reading, I don't know if you've read it, but I really I just read um. Uh, Nicole Masters' books for the love of soil. I have, and it's a really nice. It's a really nice read, and it's just yet another perspective on what regenerative agriculture means, um, and her story of that evolution, um, which is yeah, really, really informative. And then I'm also reading um, Bell Hooks, all about love. Um, which is potentially, well, that's a, a more established book, um, but it's such a, to me, it gets to the core of some of these questions about beauty. Mm. And, and you can, you know, I guess what I'm seeing in, in like what I read and listen to is that almost in my day-to-day -day life, I'm bombarded with information about regenerative agriculture and, and some of the very like practical stuff and, and the knowledge and where I find that I need more nourishment is on the side of um, the, the beauty, the, the gray areas, the dialogue, um, that that is something I have to search for more and constantly need reminding of because that's the stuff that when you go out in the world it's sort of hammered out of you chiseled off chiseled out of you every moment yeah um i don't know if that's your experience but that's the thing that i need to like constantly <laughs> refuel yeah yeah definitely i mean i resonate with that i um i i get a good I mean, recently, that sort of 
beauty and connection has been um, primarily fulfilled for me with my my kids. I have a you know like a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old, and um, <laughs> they're yep. con. It's you know it's just a, a yeah very rich, beautiful, um, all gray <laughs> or all rainbow. You know, there's no, there, there's just presence and, you know, love and pl plenty of frustration and other things, but it's quite an all-encompassing kind of um, experience being a young parent, so. Yep, <laughs> I can only imagine. And definitely, I feel like that is spot on. Uh, you know, they're just, they're living it. Exactly. <laughs> they don't need reminding of it and you therefore you're it. living it. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a, you, you know, can just snap you right out of, although, you know, I have to admit, I, I ha can be stubbornly attached to my, you know, <laughs> whatever, the, whatever the like problem that I'm, you know, brooding over, it, it can take me a little bit. That, they chisel away there and get me out of it eventually, but sometimes it takes a little time. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. I can understand. Yeah. Um, I have to go now because I actually have to do some Farmerama. Um, we're doing a new series called Who Feeds Us? Um, and so we're just pulling together the different producers for the different episodes. Um, so... I'm excited. There's some really great stories um, of, you know, since the COVID pandemic, what's been happening in the UK um, and how that relates back to the land um, and how things might look different in the future. Awesome. So I'm very excited to get this going. I can't wait. Um, well, mm. um, leave us with um, just any, you know, a link to your work if folks want to follow up. You know, obviously you mentioned Farmerama Radio, which people can, can Google and, um, yeah, if you just want to mention any other sites or, you know, places where people can follow you, um, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think um, the main, all of the app stuff you can access through um, going through to tech.vidacycle.com. Vidacycle is spelled V-I-D-A-C-Y-C-L-E. Um, our family, my family's farm is in Chile. And so, in a way it's meant to be a Spanish English combination of Vida for life and cycle. So life cycle. Um, so yeah, tech.vidacycle.com for the app stuff. And then just vidacycle.com is where you find more information about our farm um, and we make natural wine and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then Farmerama, you can tune in on any podcasting platform. If you just search Farmerama, it'll come up. Um, and we'd love to always keen to hear feedback on any and all of it. Um, and if people want to get in touch, yeah, we're very responsive on the Farmerama underscore radio on Instagram. Um, and you can email us at info at vitacycle.com. Awesome. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. <laughs> yeah. Thanks so much, Abby. Thanks for taking the time for, for this conversation. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, look forward to um, co-creating on and, and creating more beautiful agriculture with you. Absolutely. Can't wait. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gregory. It's, yeah. 
I have lots more to think about. I'm sure I'll be calling you shortly here for some more questions. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right. Okay. Ciao. Toodaloo. Ciao, ciao.